Thank you for listening to the Chelsea Wellness Clinic podcast in partnership with the school's advisory service. This podcast is delivered as part of the SAS Integrated GP Service, which goes beyond being just a helpline. Our service provides our insured staff with a holistic service that gives them the ability to speak to GPs and qualified medical professionals on a range of topics they wish to get information on. Our GP partners at the Chelsea Wellness Clinic are here to provide our community of schools with insights on topics they have heard on your calls and trends in the wider world of healthcare. This this month it is COVID-19. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chelsea Wellness Clinic podcast. I'm your host, Karim Ali, and with me today is Dr. Sahel Hussain, who is a GP with 20 years of experience. Dr. Sahel enjoys teaching and is a tutor at three London medical schools, and so is more than adept in his experience to answer our questions about the resurgence of COVID-19 in the context of schools and their pupils. A warm welcome to the show, Dr. Sahel. If you could please give us an overview of the current COVID-19 situation in England. So thank you, Karen, for your introduction, and I'm glad to be here on the Chelsea Wellness Podcast. So as with any respiratory viral infection, we'll see that the incidence of these waxes and wanes. So you'll have periods where it increases and periods where it decreases. Currently, we're seeing an increase in a new strain called Pirola, BA2.86, which is a subvariant of the Omicron virus that we've seen in the past. With the rise of this new variant, how has our understanding evolved since the pandemic first began? And what lessons have we learned from it? So as with any new disease, when it first begins, we don't know how it will act. And right at the very start of the pandemic, we were unsure what the manifestations of this new disease would be, and we didn't know how to respond to it. Then we found out more information about it, and subsequently measures were instituted to try and deal with it. I think what we've learned going forward is that we need to be more specific in our targeting of which groups we need to protect and which groups could perhaps lead a more normal life. Well, on the theme of protection, what are some of the common symptoms of the new variant and how do they differ from other respiratory illnesses such as the cold or flu? That's an interesting question and I'm glad you mentioned it because actually this strain, the Pirola strain, is actually very mild indeed. And the symptoms are very, very similar to the common cold. So you may get sneezing, sore throat, runny nose, mild fatigue, those sort of symptoms, which are almost indistinguishable from the common cold. So often people don't even know they've contracted this strain of the coronavirus. They will have a mild respiratory infection as described, and they will recover from it very quickly. Commonly, I've seen patients who've had it, got over it, recovered fully in five, six days. Well, since you mentioned, Dr. Sahel, that the common cold or flu and COVID-19 are currently showing themselves up very similarly in terms of symptoms, what are the latest recommendations for COVID testing? Where is the best place to get tested? And when's the best time? So I would suggest that that people deal with this on a case-by-case basis. So if they have these symptoms and they're relatively mild and they've resolved, then they've more or less missed the opportunity for testing. If, however, they have more significant symptoms and and or it's not resolving, then that would be a good time to get a test. So the testings available are still PCR tests, uh, which can be done via a throat swab, and there are also the nasal rapid antigen tests. These are available, I believe, for people to buy. The PCR tests are provided by 
registered laboratories, UKAS laboratories, and the patient would have to find out where these clinics were who were registered with these laboratories in order to obtain the test. So then, Dr. Sahel, if I test positive, what is the best way for me to look after myself? Well, actually, the best way to look after yourself is to make sure that you are in as fine health as possible throughout. So what that would mean is making sure that you eat well, get a good mix of nutrients in your diet, including vegetables, including meat, including a balanced and varied diet. But also, it may be useful, even on a general basis, to take supplementation with things such as vitamin C and vitamin D. It's been found that in those who were more unwell with COVID when we were in the pandemic, they were perhaps deficient in vitamin D, which is a key element in wealth, health and not wealth, which is a key element in health and well-being. Well, as they say, Dr. Sahel, health is indeed wealth. Though I am wondering, how does COVID impact children in the sense that how does it appear symptomatically? Does it appear any differently to how it does in adults? And should there be different precautions taken by children compared to adults? In fact, throughout the pandemic, what we have noticed is that children are far less adversely affected. They seem to brush off this infection very, very quickly. They have a robust uh, system to fight these respiratory viruses. And as a result of that, they have the ability to fight these things off very quickly. We saw during the initial stages of the pandemic that, in fact, children were very, very mildly affected, if at all. So with this even milder strain, I do not envisage that they would suffer any adverse effects. Well, you did say earlier, Dr. Sahel, that we should take this new strain on a case-by-case basis. Now, that being held in mind, if I have a child and you know they are adversely affected by the COVID, what sort of precautions should I take as a parent? And even if my child has tested positive, although they are asymptomatic, again, what sort of precautions should I take as a parent? Should I keep my child at home? Should I still send them to school? What do you suggest? Because not only are you a GP, you're also a parent yourself. Thank you. Yes. So this is a a twofold question. So if your child is ill, regardless of whether it's COVID or the cold or the flu, you need to seek medical attention. If they're having trouble breathing, if they seem to have a temperature that doesn't come down, if they're struggling to eat or drink, any of these symptoms would warrant seeking medical attention. And of course, we're more than well equipped to see children here at the Chelsea Pharmacy Medical Clinic. Going forward, if the child tests positive but is asymptomatic, then I think we should not overreact. We should judge that case on how it presents to us. Having a positive test does not mean that you are going to suffer adverse effects from a condition, whether that's COVID or anything else. So in those cases, I think we would be doing our children a disservice by keeping them at home by preventing them from gaining education, by minimising socialisation, by removing the joy that they get by seeing other children. This is more detrimental than keeping them at home for an asymptomatic positive test. Thank you, Dr Sahil. Well, we've heard your advice for parents. Though what if I'm a teacher? Am I amongst those who still needs to be vaccinated? Do I need a booster as well? So what we need to remember is that Teachers are a vital part of our society. I have fond memories of teachers from primary school to secondary school to university, and they were instrumental in giving me the education that I have now. If we are to remove them from the classroom, contingent upon them being vaccinated, we are maybe removing a vital resource from our society. So we need to be very careful where we suggest people must absolutely have vaccinations, otherwise they'll be unable to continue 
what they do, their job, continue to interact with society. So we need to consider what factors or what conditions may necessitate consideration of a virus, of a vaccination. So for example, if you are severely immunocompromised, if you have significant heart disease, if you're poorly controlled type 2 diabetic, these are the factors that may necessitate the person having a vaccination or at least considering being vaccinated. Well, we've certainly seen many queue up outside of pharmacies and chemists for their booster vaccines, haven't we, Dr. Sahel? Although, even if I am vaccinated or I'm not and I am infected with COVID, what's the best way that you would recommend me to look after myself? Especially, let's say, for example, I'm also a teacher. Would you suggest that I go to school still? Would you suggest that I stay at home, teach remotely? What are your sort of potential safeguards that you would recommend? Well, as we've seen, there's no certainty in this area. Some schools have suggested that if a teacher tests positive, they should self-isolate for five days. Other schools have not requested or required any such precautions to be taken. So this, again, comes down to an individual case-by-case basis. And sometimes we need to look at the greater good. What are we doing? As I mentioned before, if we're removing teachers from their vital role, what are we doing to the, to the education of those children? Two years of having to be taught at home, Maybe for younger children wasn't such an issue, but I have friends who had children who were doing GCSEs, A-levels, they had to go on guest grades, university applications were adversely affected. All of these things, those who were starting university remotely, they paid thousands of pounds to attend a prestigious institution, and then they found their teaching was remote. They paid for uh, student accommodation, or the parents had paid for expensive student accommodation. So we need to think about the wider picture Going forward, how can one protect themselves? So this goes back to what I said before. Try and ensure that you are healthy anyway. So that means having a well-balanced diet, taking appropriate supplements, taking the appropriate vitamins and minerals as necessary. You may want to see a nutritionist. We have a nutritionist who works here closely with us at the Chelsea Pharmacy Medical Clinic to seek their advice. It's all about how you can be preventative rather than reactive. I think that is the best way to keep yourself healthy. Well, considering that schools, Dr. Sahail, are community hubs and uh, vibrant places of learning and uh, future scholarship for generations, how would you regard public health measures and community cooperation as being important in relation to a rise in cases of COVID-19? So public health is a very important area. And... In many times, they will serve us well, they will serve the population well. But equally, public health needs to be done in conjunction, in collaboration and with consensus. I do not believe that public health should be by diktat. So public health specialists need to look at the wider picture, as we've already alluded to, and think about the implications of uh, mandatory testing, mandatory isolation, all of these things. And what are the wider implications? We're seeing a rise, a massive rise in mental health issues, particularly in the young. So many people who were isolated at home, unable to attend educational institutions, are now suffering severe mental health problems. This is going to have a major impact on A, resources, and B, the health of that individual per se. Mental health is already the uh, lonely child of the health service. And now with this added burden, it's only going to suffer more. So we need to look at things in the whole look at the picture in the round, 
and not just look at isolated instances and, and isolated conditions. Well, not only do you have a breadth of experience, Dr. Sahel, in private work, but of course you work for the NHS as well. Can you give some specific examples, perhaps, of where you think the healthcare should, of where you think the healthcare system has been challenged or is facing challenges via the COVID nineteen? Okay, so this has or COVID has had a twofold effect on the healthcare system. So initially, during the pandemic, hospitals were overwhelmed with people being admitted with COVID and the stress that put upon them. Then what we found is that routine care was basically stopped. A, a full stop, a break was put on routine care. And now we're seeing the ramifications of that, of that break having been placed upon routine care. So long, long waiting lists for scheduled operations, delayed outpatient appointments, massive pressure on GPs. So GPs were told at the time of the pandemic, you can't see patients face to face. Now we did need a change in the way we consulted. I totally accept that. And remote consulting has its place. But what we find is that often people are now not being given face-to-face appointments when they should be being given face-to-face appointments. It's hard for general practice to come back to what it was doing before. Um, but we've, I think we've found that the lack of face-to-face appointments has led to delayed diagnoses, severe conditions being missed, um, and people suffering adversely from other health conditions. So the management of diabetes, the management of uh, chronic conditions such as arthritis, other respiratory conditions, heart conditions, all of these things has been delayed. Well, Dr. Sahel, if you consider that hospitals were at one point completely full and were not allowing any more patients due to the perceived dangers of COVID-19, could you argue as well that a case could be made for why should we send our children to schools that are full of infection, parents included, uh, teachers included, right? Because if you have a room full of people and there are some who are positively infected by COVID, couldn't that also then transmit into others and put others at risk? So I think there is a distinction to be made here between older patients being admitted to a hospital who may be acutely unwell versus children who, as we've discussed, are generally very robust and fight off this infection very quickly. So if there were a class full of children, and it was never going to be, 30 children out of 30 children who were infected with COVID. If there were a class who had a preponderance of children who had COVID and it was passed on to other pupils in that class, I think what we'd find is that we'd build herd immunity. Now, herd immunity is an acknowledged and accepted form of protecting yourself against an infection, whether that's mumps or measles or COVID. Now, you need to reach a certain percentage threshold before herd immunity can be classed as herd immunity. I believe it's around... 88% of the population, uh, not exactly sure of those figures, but something in the high 80s to be affected with condition X. Then once that threshold is reached, what we find is those who are not affected will not be adversely impacted when they come into contact with that condition because all their peers have immunity from having acquired it through the herd. Well, from my childhood, what springs to mind immediately is uh, chickenpox and uh, being encouraged to hug other people, other children rather, when I also had chickenpox so they could also have it. Or they were in close contact or close proximity with me and uh, my parents would encourage them to spend time with me so that I could get chickenpox so that I was then immune to it. Well, Dr. Sahil, as a parent, a private GP, tutor and NHS doctor, What advice would you give to other parents and indeed teachers regarding any potential influx in COVID-19? 
Okay, well, with the current very mild strain of COVID-19, I would say that we should exercise optimism that it's not going to adversely affect the children or the teachers. Living in a sense of fear is actually detrimental to you, to your health, your well-being, particularly your mental health. So we shouldn't panic, we shouldn't overreact. I think we need to look at what's happening around us. If your school insists as a as an institution that you need to stay at home, obviously that's something you as one of the teachers may have to adhere to. However, I think we need to also look at the wider picture as I've said in many time, uh, many instances already and think about the wider implications. So we or well, I certainly remember as a child uh, pox parties, by which I mean chicken pox parties. I'm not an advocate of <laughs> taking your child with chicken pox to go and hug other people's children. But when my own children, very recently, last year, contracted chicken pox, uh, the youngest, I think, was the first, and he was two, I was very hopeful that the other two would contract it as well, which meant that they had had the infection and no longer had any issues with it. And they, didn't, they wouldn't need the chicken pox vaccination, which at one point I was considering. So there are advantages to coming into an environment where there is a non-lethal condition and contracting that. We've often heard of what's called the hygiene hypothesis, which postulates that if you're overly clean, if you focus too much on keeping away from infections, you're actually doing harm to the immune system by not allowing it to develop, not allowing it to be exposed to pathogens and build its own resistance. The best and the greatest thing you can do for yourself, whilst being sensible, if, if there was an outbreak of the plague, I would not be advocating running around the street. But with simple conditions, if you are able to manage them quite well, then and you have contact with them, I would not expect you to suffer adversely. Well, Dr. Sahel, thank you so much. You really have instilled within me a great deal of confidence regarding COVID-19. Although I do have one burning concern, and that is, if I am subject, if I do get infected with COVID-19, how long will I be infected for? I think with the current mild strain, the consensus is that about five to six days is the infectious period. So after that, you should be perfectly fine, both symptomatically and from a transmission point of view. So I hope that reassures you from that point of view. I think one thing to consider, not necessarily in children, but in adults, is there may be the chance that you contract something called long COVID, uh, which is a whole different condition in, in and of itself. Wow, well, you really took the thoughts out of my head right there with uh, addressing long COVID. Although, as much as I want to discuss and talk about it and explore it now in great depth and, and detail, it's going to have to wait for the next episode. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Sahel. When you're not on the BBC giving interviews, you can definitely be found at Chelsea Pharmacy Medical Clinic on Mondays. That's all from the Chelsea Wellness Clinic podcast, and we look forward to welcoming you next time. I've been your host, Karen Malley. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Our integrated GP service is available for all staff whose schools purchase support through the school's advisory service. You can access this service through our app, which you can find by typing school wellbeing on your app store. Or you can call our team on 01773 Tune in again for another instalment of our podcast and thank you for listening.